<laughs> Welcome to Master Geek Theater. <laughs> Greetings all, this is Emmanuel. I'm here to introduce this episode of Master Geek Theater. On today's show, the investigation continues as we open the casebook of Philip Penguin and let you in on Chapter 2 of The Dead Delinquent Caper. And for the Fantastic Four report, it's going to be something different than what we're used to. Instead of us doing the summary of the comic, then the review, and some of the history of it all in the same segment, what our crack research staff discovered in the Fantastic Four radio show episode from the 1960s is that this episode dramatizes the entire Fantastic Four issue number one with Bill Murray starring as the Torch. We're going to present that to you here, and on the next episode, our panel of experts will give you the history of the book, its effect on comics, and review it for you. So, that's the plan. Let's go. Zachary Ampia kicked the bucket at the Five Aces nightclub. The slimy louse had invited three people he'd screwed over most to eat with him, just so he could rub their noses in it. The owner of this happening night spot was an ex-gangster. Of course, even he had a grudge against this crump, left over from the old bootlegging wars. His moniker, Jack L. Diamond. Seated on Zach's left was the not-so-loving wife, Sheila Ampia. On his right was the big roller business dog down on his luck, Tito Bell. Across from him sat the vampire bat, prince of prestidigitation, the mysterious Harry Whodunit. To think it was my friend and mentor and hero, Lieutenant Monster, that called me into this snake pit. Soon I found myself asking, is there anybody who didn't want to knock off this bum? The Case Files of Philip Penguin. The Dead Delinquent Paper, Chapter 2. Did anybody not want to bump this bum? I don't want it. On my way to the Five Aces Club, I started thinking about my life. I chuckle when I consider how lucky I've been. Don't get me wrong. I've had plenty of bad breaks. I'm a penguin after all, and we ain't exactly the favored species in this town. My parents were killed by German spies when I was a kid of 13. I had to lie about my age so as I could pay those Jerry's back. I was off to Europe fighting in the war to end all wars. If it really does, then all the trenches and graves I dug awaited. I'm sure I would have got my little black tail feathers blown off if it wasn't for the greatest guy I know. Lieutenant C. Monster. He was a sergeant then, you know. That big fuzzy cookie monster taught this snot-beaked wise-cracking boyd how to be a soldier, and even more importantly, a man. We did it all together. He took me under his wing. We got a job with Chi-Town's finest. We took down the five biggest mob families in Chicago during the bootlegging wars in the 1920s. He introduced me to London. I even had the privilege of seeing his son born. Now that kid's a real showman. If he don't go into show business when he grows up, then this world misses out on one of his great talents. Ah. He's the place. 
Looks like I better wake up and get to work. Hey, if it ain't my favorite hero cop, Lieutenant Monster. What do you hear? What do you say? I say, waddle over here, get to work, before I regret calling you. Come off it, pal. You know there ain't nothing I wouldn't do for you. Now, what's the setup here? The stiff lying face down on the table is one Zachary Anthier, better known as the Snake. He was the biggest stockholder in the country's leading energy producer, Kilowatt Company. Zach was tying on the feed bag with his wife and friends when the club's lights went out. Followed shortly by his, I take it. Bingo. Well, let's take a closer look at the body here. Hmm. His face and torso were all sprawled out on the table. Looks to me like he was toasting something when he was bumped. He was toasting a deal we just cut with J.D. Rockefeller. Would have netted all of us millions, but now J.D. and I will have to carry on alone. Tragic. Is Dad right? Just whose are you anyway? I'm Tito Bell, owner of Drilling Dogs, Inc. Where was you sitting, pal? I was seated to the right of my good friend Zach. I bent down to look over the corpse, spotting a small hole in his side. When a drunken, slurred voice broke my concentration, saying, Good friend, please. Who are you now? I am the late, unlamented, Zachary Ampere's wife, Sheila. I had no more love for him than Tito or anyone else. She said while she waved a half-drunk bottle of rum at me. Don't listen to her, she's drunk. I had no problem with Ampere. Sure I'm drunk, but at least I'm honest. The snake was gonna cut you out of that deal and force you into bankruptcy. The angrier she got, the more she waved that bottle around, until it began to look like a weapon. Then, for everybody's safety, I took it away from her. The look she flashed me could have stopped a charging rhino. Party pooper! Before you ask, I was seated on his left. That dirty eel was gonna leave me? Take all my cash? You know what? I'm glad he had a heart attack. Are you sure it was a heart attack? Honey, I'm not even sure that eel had a heart. Period! <laughs> Let me help you to your seat, my dear. Thanks, Harry. You're a gentle bat. But what I really need is a bartender. Hey, you're Harry Whodunit, the great vampire bat magician, right? Guilty as charged. And I was seated across from the victim when this tragedy occurred. I took London to see your act a couple weeks back. Now, let me show you mine. Please, the stage is yours, detective. When examining the corpus dialecti, I noticed a few odd things. Look here. You see that brownish drops on the floor? Yes, I do. What are they? Once the lab boys come back with their results, I bet they tell us that it's blood from the wound in Zack's side. That means he was intentionally mitted. What if it's an old wound that's just opened during his fall? Could be, but that don't explain the scratches. What scratches? Let's get on our hands and knees. Zack's left side. I'll show you. How morbid. What fun. So we did. Harry in his fine tuxedo, and me and my trench coat and fedora were on our knees scrounging around the table like a couple of hungry dogs. 
Then I pointed to the deep grooves in the floor and said, See those grooves around the body? They mean that somebody was here and gone in a real hurry and carrying something heavy. Yes, yes, that would explain something my bad echolocation picked up. When the lights were out. Do tell. I could not see anything, you understand. But my radar picked up a rapidly beating heart next to Ampere's heartbeat. Right before Zack's heart stopped. That is, even before Zack's body hits the table. Poof! It was gone. That checks out with another theory of mine. Let's stand up and I'll show you. <clears throat> Detective... The suspense is killing me. We stood up and I pointed towards the bandstand. That's where the tracks lead. Where the crime photographer is snapping all those pictures. You mean to say, after killing Zachary, the murderer ran out behind the stage to make his escape? Yeah, and that's why we know he was both strong and fast. Well, your act is a good one. Now I will answer the question I am sure is foremost on your mind. I too had, um, shall we say, disagreement with Ampere tonight. I'm all ease. He won't tell you. <gasps> that boy won't tell anyone, right? Sergeant Otis. Call this dame a cab. I did. It's out front. Then come get her and take her home. And bring some rum. <laughs> Here I am, Lieutenant. Come on, lady. Let's go. Hey, where's the rum at? Back at your mansion. Get her out of here. Right away, sir. Meanie head. I want my rum. Come on. Let's get out of here. With that... Poor Otis had almost dragged Sheila out the door. When I turned back to Harry, he handed me a slip of paper reading, Florence A. Wolf, Attorney at Law, and on a puff of blue smoke, the magician bat was gone. What did he give you? My next lead, I hope. I'll have copies of the crime scene photos and the lab work sent to your office as soon as they are ready. I haven't seen London in a couple of weeks. So I'll deliver them personally. Thanks, pal. She'll love to see you. Then I turned towards the door, starting to walk out. When I bumped into Chester James and his base literally at the door jam. It looked like something out of a Three Stooges short. Sorry, fuzz. The other cop said me and the band could leave our names and split. My head was a million miles away, so I didn't see you, baby. Other than tearing a hole in my trench coat pocket with one of your claws, no harm done. Wow, am I a goon. My deepest apologies for the jacket, Dick Tracy. Be sure to send me the dry cleaning bill. Thanks, but how's your base? It took a pretty good dive. Didn't even damage the stand, man. What stand? It's the thin little piece of metal at the bottom of the base. It's retractable. Oh, I get it. When you're playing, the little leg is out holding the base in place, and it retracts into the base when you're done. In case I bump into any private eyes in the doorway, causing my bread and butter to take a tumble. Yeah, all right, pal. I got places to be, but I think I'll let you get out of the doorway first. Crazy, man. Crazy.
When I got back to my car, I reached into my trench coat pocket for the paper Harry gave me, and... Darn it! That card must have fallen through this hole in my pocket. I know there was no hole in my pocket when I got here tonight. Hmm. Oh, it must have happened when I bumped into that hepcat cheetah. He clawed my pocket by accident. Probably just a nervous habit, doesn't even realize he's doing it. I remember reading somewhere that lots of cats pop their claws when they get a case of the jitters. I hot-footed it back to my office and got the mouthpiece address. Any excuse to see my favorite canary is a good one. The last thing she told me as I was heading out the door. I will call Miss Wolf and let her know you are coming. Once the crime lab report gets here, I'll let you know. Good luck, lover. She calls me that as a joke. One day I'm going to tell her just how much it melts my stone-like heart. Anyway, I'm here at the Coleman and Associates office building, and there's this wolf waving excitedly at me from the second floor window. Pleased to meet you, Detective Penguin. I'm Thomas O'Malley, the doorman. Uh, Miss Wolf sent me down here to uh, take you to her office. Well, lead the way, Pally. It's an unprecedented honor to make your acquaintance. It is? Why? Here we are at Miss Wolf's door. She will explain everything. A real pleasure, sir. You may enter. I was both flattered and confused at the same time as I entered the room. What a cheerful doorman. I don't usually see smiles in my particular profession. Well, you should. You are a bona fide hero, detective. The voice came from the smartest dressed wolf I'd ever seen. She walked up in a spiffy but professional E.J. Samuel suit. She's wearing a toothy smile so broad I figured she's either a fan or I'm lunch. It is my extreme pleasure to meet you, Mr. Penguin. She said as she excitedly grabbed my hand and began to shake it with so much vim and vigor, I doubted it was coming back. Thanks, uh, but the arm is attached, you know. Oh, I'm so sorry, Mr. Penguin. It's just, you have been my hero my whole life. I never thought I would actually meet you. If Dad knew we lived in the same city for years, yet this is the first time we've met, he would smack me. Really? Just who is your old man? That's right. I was just a cub when you served with my father. This will give you a hint. My real last name is Talbot. No way! Yes, a John's kid? Little Flo? I'm glad you remember me. How could I forget you? Not only was you the cutest kid I ever saw, but your old man always said, Alice and you were the only things he fought for. Poor Alice. Your ma was one of the greatest gals I ever knew. She was so strong during that whole illness. She inspires me to this very day. Thanks. She said the same thing about you, you know. Oh, she would, the sweetheart. Your pop saved my tail feathers so many times in that war. He was my hero. To hear Dad tell it, the hero was a much too skilled for his age, young Yank penguin that got Dad through the Great War alive. He's always giving me too much credit, but I got a hunch Harry didn't give me this card just so we could chew the fat about old times. You are right about that. Come sit. On my desk, I have two cases to discuss with you from the Zachary Ampere's files. Phil, you have to understand client confidentiality is very important to me. Zach knew it. So, he told me Harry's secret and the whole dirty blackmail scheme. Ampere loved watching me agonize over doing my duty as his lawyer and wanting to step in and get justice for a good bat. If Ampere was such a rat, why didn't you just drop the bum as a client? Because I was the only gal advocating for Harry. Sometimes I would negotiate the price down. Zach let me know in no uncertain terms that the moment I dropped him, he would triple the price and bleed Harry dry. I begged him to let Who Done It off the hook. I mean, 
How much money did he need, right? He would just sneer at me and say, Florence, it's not about the money. It's about having the power to make others squirm. That's where the fun is. Now that the snake is dead, I will do anything to help that magician. Since he asked me to share the secret with you, I will. The truth is the only thing that'll clear this up. I will share it with you, but only in the strictest confidence. It could ruin his life. If he didn't bump Amp here, I won't spill the beans on him. I know what your word is worth. Harry is not a vampire bat. He's a fruit bat. Jeez Louise, with all the prejudice surrounding fruit bats, after the plague, I can see why he doesn't want this to get out. It would kill his career. It's been proven that the plague came through fleas, not fruit bats, but people still blame them. So that's the secret the snake was using to put the squeeze on old Harry, eh? No wonder I can't find anybody who didn't want an 86 this bum. What a joke. He was something else. The only time he ever did anything where he wasn't in total control was the time he worked with some doctor on a secret project. Mr. Ampere was only allowed the information necessary to build a casing for harnessing some as yet undisclosed type of energy. A control freak like Zack? Can I get a copy of that file? Sure, if you think it's relevant. It's just a hunch. Good enough for me, because Dad says, always trust in Philip Penguin's hunches. Can I call my office while you dig up that file? Sure. I have a second copy of the case in here. You can take it with you. Thanks. Philip Penguin Investigations. What do you hear? What do you say? Well, a whole lot. Lieutenant Monster dropped off the crime scene photos you requested. The toxicology report he brought shows you were right. The cyanide was not found in the throat, but was injected directly into the bloodstream. It's all fallen into place. I'm coming back to the office to look over those photos. Contact Cookie and have him meet us there. I have a plan we need to go over with him. Then it's a good thing I accepted his dinner invitation for tonight. We are meeting him and his lovely wife at Romano's at 6 p.m. That should give you enough time to go over the photos before we leave. Thanks, London. You're a wonder. I know. See you in 20, lover. The time London and I spent going over the crime scene photos hit pay date. Then we had dinner with the monsters. It was fun as usual. After dinner, Cookie, London, and I hashed out the plan. Right now, I'm on the way to the Five Aces nightclub to find a little black round thing London spotted in three of the crime scene photos. Well, looks like this is the place. As I got out of the car, I heard shouting from the distance, getting closer. Hey, fools, wait up a minute. I turned to greet Chester James, who ran up to me. Hey, Chet, what do you hear? What do you say? I am so cool. My girl has to wear a fur coat around me. <laughs> and after he got his breath, he said, Isn't it a little late to be visiting Five Aces? I mean, it's been closed for hours, baby. I could ask you the same thing. After all, the joint hasn't been reopened since this MITA investigation began. I had to check with the janitorial staff to make sure my boys in the band didn't leave anything behind yesterday, since we were all so stressed out. I brought the crime photo out of my trench coat pocket. Then I pointed at the little round black thing on the bandstand. 
What is that, Birdman? I was hoping you could tell me. Give me the picture so I can take a closer look. Then maybe I can smooth your path. I handed him the photo and he began to study it. Hmm, maybe it's... No, it can't be that. I'm stumped. Sorry, man. I've never seen it before. Here's the snapshot back, baby. Well, you tried. Thanks. Uh, I'm here, so I might as well take a look-see. Happy hunting. When I came into the lobby, the lights were still on, and a noise was coming from the ballroom. So I called out. This is Detective Philip Penguin. Who's in there? I'm working in the ballroom, Sonny. Come on, join me. <laughs> so as I did. When I entered the dance hall, I saw a wrinkled up old mole in overalls, bent over scrubbing furiously on the stage. I walked up to join him. Oh, these darn scratches, uh, they're so deep, uh, uh, so hard to scrub them out. Oh, Bob, <laughs> it's infuriating, I tell you. <laughs> the closer I got, the more I could hear him complaining about how hard it was to buff out some of the scratches on the stage. I knelt low to see what was giving him such a hard time. Well, Jasper, let me tell you, I've been doing this job for Mr. Diamond going on 20 years. Never in all my born day had I had such a miserable time getting scratches out of this Johnson Glow coat. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. How do you think they got there? Grooves this deep could only come from one thing, by cracky. Claws. He said as we both stood up. Claws? That don't make a lot of sense. The only people up here tonight were Chester James's band. Sure, they had a lot of animals with claws in that band, but nobody's bending over in those ritzy suits just to vandalize your floor, old-timer. Hmm. They would not have to with foot claws. But all the musicians are in patent leather shoes. They'd look pretty silly removing them just to scratch up your floor. I take it you ain't never seen Chester James play. Not yet. They any good? They're great. <laughs> well, I took the missus just last week. The first thing she noticed was that all the boys in the band wore shoes, but Chester himself wore only uh, open-toed sandals. <laughs> that way, if he got nervous and accidentally ejected his claws, he wouldn't ruin the patent leather. <laughs> you got it, my boy. After all, them shiny shoes don't grow on trees, you know. <laughs> yeah, and one of them could be a week's salary. He just can call me Phil. Uh, I'm Marvin Mole Man. Glad you make your acquaintance. Then it hit me. If this old mole's been cleaning up after nightclub acts for 20 years, he might know what that black thing in the crime photo is. So as I took the picture out of my newly repaired trench coat to show him. Have you ever seen something like this? Oh, heavenly day. I see uh, those almost every night I work. Uh, that there, Sonny, is the thing bass players stick to their stand-in to steady their bass while they're playing. Uh, they're a dime a dozen. Uh, some bases forget to take them home with them half the time. <laughs> Great. Have you, uh, seen this one? I sure have. Come over to my trash cart and I'll get it for you. So we walked over to the old timer's trash cart. He pulled the rubber base stopper out of a side compartment for me. I come across so many of these, I don't usually save them, you understand. Uh, this one, though, I had a non-feeling that it was kind of special. I mean, that smell alone is totally unlike any I've ever smelt. Woo-wee! 
He handed it to me, and the smell of almonds was so strong it could have knocked out an anteater. <laughs> we smell that. You got any idea what it is? Whew. If I'm right, it's cyanide. And Pally, you just solved this mitre for me. Thanks. Huh, hurt nothing. <laughs> uh, it's my quitting time, so, so stick that in your pocket and let's skedaddle out of here. I dropped it in my pocket and told Marvin he could leave. I'll lock up for him. So he started pushing his cart off stage and said, Thanks, honey. Have a very good night to you. <laughs> oh, I wish I was in Dixie. Hooray, hooray. In Dixieland, I take my stand and live and die in Dixie. Look away, look away, look away down south in Dixie. <laughs> what a character. Well, let me jump off this stage. Now, if I follow these scratches, they lead right to Zack's chair. Just as I got to Ampere's chair and stooped over to study the scratches, the room's lights went out. Hey! Old timer! Turn those back on, would ya? Follow promptly by my lights doing the same. Ugh. Attention, all true believers. Marvel Comics is on the air. Out of the pages of the world's greatest comic magazine come the adventures of the Fantastic Four. This week's epic, the first tale in this new radio series, is from the original book of Marvel called The Fantastic Four Meet the Mole Man, the beginnings of which we shall witness in just half a moment. It's mid-afternoon in New York City. Through the din of midday traffic is heard a strange explosion. A symbol takes shape in the city's sky, and a legend is born. Hey, look up there. What does that mean? Could it be an invasion? And high above the excitement and hubbub, one man holds the still-smoldering flare gun. One individual who is somehow more than just a man. He is the leader of the Fantastic Four. This is the first time that I've had to use the signal, and I pray it will be the last. In another part of Manhattan, Susan Storm is having tea with a society friend when she hears... Sue, look out there. What? That symbol in the sky. What do you suppose it means? Oh, I'm sorry, Jackie. I have to go now. What? But we haven't even started our lunch. So it's happened at last. I must be true to my vow. There's no turning back. She's gone. But how? It's time for the world to meet the invisible girl. And at the same time, in a men's clothing store downtown. I'm sorry, sir, but we don't carry anything large enough to fit a man of your stature. Bah! Everywhere I go, it's the same story. I'm in a world too small. Say, look in the sky. That bright red symbol with the number four inside? Huh? What can it mean? Let me see that. Time has come. Out of my way! What? Why do they build doorways so narrow? Holy smokes, a monster. Officer, do something. Hard. Hard or I shoot. I warned you. You see that? He'll hit that manhole cover out of the ground with his bare hands. Take my special underground express route. 
There's so many tunnels under the city, and this is faster than subways. Quieter, too. Ah, this ought to be far enough. There's no opening above. I'll just have to make an opening. A monster came up out of the ground. It don't look human. We're being invaded by Martians. Call out the army. Oh, we're being invaded. Invaded? Well, before we make such a decision, let's observe another scene at Swanson's Garage. <laughs> we got her purring like a lamb, Johnny boy. Good, that's the way it should be. There's only one thing I like better than working on cars. What's that? Hey, look. What's that in the sky? That's my cue. Flame on. Hey, Johnny, what's happening to you? Remember me saying there's only one thing I like better than working on cars? Well, this is it. The figure which just seconds before had been Johnny Storm is now the human torch, flying through the skies like a flaming meteor. Red dog base to squadron leader. Scandal alert. You are authorized to locate and bring down unidentifiable flaming object now flying over Manhattan. And within a few minutes, Johnny Storm is in a dogfight for his life. much longer. My flame's gonna run out. Oh no, I'm falling. I'm not gonna make it. And then, just as the flying boy's flame begins to flicker out altogether, two impossibly long arms stretch out and... Gotcha. The now flameless human torch is plucked from the air by the strange man who fired the flare which caused all the commotion. <sighs> Thanks, Reed. Oh, you're safe now, lad. Who is this man? In fact, who are all four of these astonishing humans? How did they become what they are? What mystic quirk of fate brought them all together to form the Fantastic Four? Well, you all came when I summoned you. Good. There's a task that awaits us. An awesome task. There's time for us to learn of the task awaiting these four, but first, let us uncover the origins of this colorful quartet. That requires a bit of Marvel magic as we travel back to a time and place before there was a Fantastic Four. Back to the office of Dr. Reed Richards in the Federal Space Exploration Complex where Dr. Richards is briefing his team. So, as you can see, we have a clear time window at 9.40 tonight and then not again for three years. If we're to be the first in space, we must leave tonight. What? You're not going tonight with me as pilot. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. Out in space, they could kill us all. Ben, we've got to take that chance. Unless you want the Reds to beat us to it. I I never thought you were a coward. Coward? Get that shit. I'll fly her no matter what happens. And so, led by a determined Dr. Reed Richards, the group speeds to the spaceport. Susan... Ben and I know what we're doing, but you and, and Johnny, you two don't... Don't say it, Reed. I've been working on this for too long. Where you go, I go. And I'm tagged along with Sis, so it's settled. No time to wait for clearance. Conditions are right, right now. I think this is a stupid thing you're doing, but I ain't no coward. And before the guards can stop them, the mighty ship, which Reed Richards has spent years constructing, is streaking for the heavens, climbing into space. 
Hey, this hurts. Feels like I have a ton of concrete on my chest. Caused by our fantastic rate of acceleration, Johnny. Right, but the ship is acting like a perfect baby. Yeah, but we still don't know about those cosmic rays. Higher and higher, like a silver bullet, the sleek spacecraft soars. Hear that? The rays are penetrating the ship. I warned you. My head is it's pounding like it's going to burst. Rays have affected my hands. I, I can't see it. Finn was right. We should have waited. We should have had heavier shielding. But sis, I feel like I'm burning up. My body is so hot. Can't move. I tried to At that moment, the powerful rocket's autopilot takes over and the sleek ship returns to Earth in a rugged but non-fatal landing. Leaving our quartet of cosmically charged champions deep in the jungles of South America. Oh. Reed, after all your work, we failed. I'm just grateful we're all alive. But we failed. Bah, what'd you expect? And we still don't know what effects the cosmic rays will have on us. Oh, Reed, I feel strange. Susan! Look at Susan! Sis, what's happening? You're, you're fading away. Oh, no. What's happening to me? Somehow the cosmic rays have altered your DNA, making you invisible. Sis, I can't see you at all anymore. Tried to tell you to wait. How long will it last, Reed? That's got to be the question of the century. How long will it last? There's no way of knowing. What if she never gets visible again? Easy, Johnny. Susan, concentrate. Think about your physical form. Try to imagine yourself visible. I'll try, darling. Look, it's working. I can feel it. Oh, Susan, it is working. Oh, it feels so strange. Oh. Oh, you were lucky. We might never have seen you again. Richard, you were crazy for proceeding with this experiment. How do you know she won't turn invisible again? Oh, Ben, I'm all right now. Oh, sure, you're okay now, but what about a minute ago? And what's going to happen to the rest of us, wise guys? Ben, I'm sick and tired of your insults and complaining. I didn't purposely... And I'm sick and tired of you, period, bub. In fact, I'm going to paste you one right in that slug face of yours. I've been wanting to do this for a long time. Ben, wait, Ben. What's happening to him, sis? I don't know, Johnny. His skin is cracking. He's turning into orange rock. Wait, Ben. Don't try to talk yourself out of this one, Doc. I'm going to nail you. <laughs> All of you. It's those terrible cosmic rays. Look at me. They've gotten me, too. My body's beginning to blaze. And I'm lighter than air. I, I can fly. Oh, wow. I can really fly. Johnny. Johnny. It's okay, sis. I just feel a little warm, that's all. Minutes later, Johnny Storm's flame has subsided, and he returns to the others. Together, they watch a small brush fire which started burn itself out. And then they stand silently, each absorbed in his own startling thoughts. We've changed, all of us. We're more than just human. Listen to me. 
You too, Ben. Together we have more power than any humans have ever had. Why, we... You don't have to make no speech, Big Shot. We understand. We gotta use our power to help mankind, right? Right, Ben. I'm gonna call myself the Human Torch. I'm with you all the way. Count me in, too. I'm the Invisible Girl. I guess I ain't Ben Grimm no more. I'll be what Susan called me. The Thing. And I'll call myself Mr. Fantastic. And so was born the Fantastic Four. From that moment on, the world could never be the same. And now, knowing some pertinent history, let's return to the relative present. This is the first time Dr. Reed Richards has brought the fabulous foursome together since that fateful flight, and the task awaiting them is truly awesome. I brought you here to see some photographs I just received from Washington. Pictures. What are they, pinups? Yeah. This one's an aerial shot of what used to be a nuclear power plant in the Soviet Union. What made that big hole in the earth? The same thing that made this hole in a power plant in Southern California. And this one in Australia? It's happening all over the world. Wait, according to the steady pulses on this seismograph, another one is about to go. And halfway around the world in French Africa. What is that sound, Andre? It feels like the ground is shaking under my feet. And that sound, it sounds like noise. An earthquake in the sand. How is that possible? The earth is going mad. Look, the entire installation is leading in. But the worst is yet to come for these unfortunate French legionnaires. Not only did their nuclear generator sink into the undulating earth, but... What is his name of... Oh, it is some kind of giant blood beast! Artillery! Bring artillery! But of what use is artillery against an enormous creature whose hide is tough enough to dig through countless tons of rock-hard earth? There is no artillery to stop a monster that can crush a modern tank with but one claw. But just as it seems, there is nothing can stop this merciless menace. And the Goliath stops in his tracks. For even a monster such as this heeds a master. A master known as the Mole Man. Back at the strategy meeting amongst the Fantastic Four... You see, it's happened again. But how? That's why I brought you together. Our mission is to find out. By studying the previous cave-ins, I've pinpointed a location that is exactly in the middle of all of them. This is where we've got to go to find the answer. What's the name of this place? Monster Island. Monster Island? That's just a fairy tale. There's no such real place called Monster Island. But hours later, in their private jet, the four see a strange mountain rising from the sea like an unearthly, grotesque face. There it is. That's horrible looking. Wow! Monster Island! Little dreaming of the adventure that awaits them, the Fantastic Four land and begin the long climb to the top of the forbidding peak. Wait, I hear something. It's coming from below. Look down there. Six eyes, coming out of that hole. A living three-headed nightmare hurls forth from the bowels of Monster Island. Quick, turn invisible, Sue. Seeing one of his intended victims vanish before his eyes, the monster halts in bewilderment. 
Just enough time for me to make a hoop out of my resilient arm. And like a cowpoke roping a wild stallion, Mr. Fantastic lassos one of the monstrosity's three heads and swings it far out to sea. I read about a giant three-headed creature that guards this place, but I never believed it. But before Mr. Fantastic and Johnny can catch their breaths... Look out! Cave in! The earth opens up and literally swallows Reed and Johnny. Hang on there, boy! Down, down, down they plummet, lost in the darkness until finally at the bottom of the pit. It's pitch black in here. What sort of place can this be? Say, Reed, over here. What is it? Feels like a door in the wall. It's moving. Oh, that's white. Why do we fly? I can't see. It's so powerful that I'm flagging out. It could be minutes or hours later when the two regain consciousness only to find themselves garbed in strange, heavy suits that protect them from the blinding, unearthly glow. Oh, my God. That light actually overpowered us. How did we get into these clothes? It is about time you came around. Who are you? I, I can't see. Where are we? One thing at a time. The reason for your blindness is the glare from this valley of diamonds. Brighter than the sun. And as for me, I am the Moon Man. While Reed and Johnny are dazzled by the Valley of Diamonds, more action awaits Ben and Sue on the surface. I've got to find Reed and Johnny. Wait, what's that sound? Other ears and eyes sense the approaching menace. Look up behind you, Sue! Oh, the second gigantic guardian of Monster Isle is powerful beyond belief. But he is fighting a foe whose very body has been supercharged with cosmic energy. A foe that cannot be stopped. He's done it, Ben. You'll save him. What'd you expect? I am the thing, ain't I? Oh, you saved my life. Never mind that. Let's go find your brother and that skinny boyfriend of yours. Oh, Ben, if you could only stop hating Reed for what happened to you. And what of Reed Richards and Johnny? Using that Marvel magic again, let's descend to the depths of Monster Isle, where we find them confronted by the strange Mole Man. So you have never heard of me before. Well, soon the world will know my name, for soon the Mole Man will control the power of the Earth. How did you get here? It all started long ago. The people of the surface world mocked me. Me? Go out with you? <laughs> Don't make me laugh. I know you're qualified, but I can't hurry. Uh, you did scare away all my business. Really? Was that a mask you're wearing? Finally. I could endure it no longer. I resolved to find a place of my own. The legendary world at the center of the earth. A world where I could be king. And then, when I had almost abandoned hope, this cavern, this cavern, this cavern, this cavern, soon I saw where it led to the land of my dreams. I found, I found, I found, I sudden shock of my outcry in that blue-sided cavern caused a violent avalanche. When it was over, I had somehow survived, but I fell into the Valley of Diamonds and was permanently blinded. 
That was the last of my misfortunes. My luck has changed as I mastered the creatures down here. Make them do my bidding. With their talents, I carved an empire out of the Earth's core. <laughs> I conquered everything around me. I developed the ability to deal with the dark and the blindness. Yes, take this paw. Try to hit me with it. What do you mean? Go ahead. Take a swing at me. <laughs> Again. See? I have radar like a bat. I am able to evade whatever danger approaches me and return the attack in time. Reed, you okay? He's not hurt. But see how easily I defeat anyone who dares defy me. But now, at my signal, those creatures from the bowels of the earth shall destroy you, my witless intruders. We'll see about that thing, sis. Johnny. It is too late. The die is cast. Look out, Ben. Behind you. Hearing the Mole Man's signal, his largest and most deadly underground creature thunderously lifts itself into the room, its brainless rage directed at the ill-fated four. Flame on. Help is on the way. Things are going to get kind of warm around here. Back and forth like a flaming hornet, the human torch buzzes the gigantic creature who tries to grasp the frantically flying youth. The mole man is getting away. Not if I can help it. And I can. You haven't won yet. You can beat my entire menagerie of monsters. And then they come. Like pieces from an insane nightmare. Roaring, running, snarling. The mole man's entire army of underground gargoyles. The unbelievable power of the torch flying between his fantastic allies and the pursuing hordes blazes a swath of melting earth. This will cause a landslide, stealing those creatures from us. You did it! And we're free, too! We better get out of here. This whole place is going to erupt. And moments later... What happened to the mole man? I left him there. He'll never bother anyone. Look, he's destroyed the entire island. It's the best way. There was no place for him in our world. I just hope we've seen the last of him. Whether we've seen the last of the Mole Man or not, one thing is certain. We'll see much more of the world's most incredible quartet in the weeks to come as we pursue the further adventures of the Fantastic Four. And that's the show for this week. A big thanks out to Rollickin' Ryan Placencia for helping me put this whole thing together. He is a serious talent, and he's got a serious announcement for all of you. How's it going, guys? It's Ryan here. I like to make music, and you can find me under the name 909.dominus on any music platform that your heart desires. A big thanks for all the cast from Philip Penguin, Dead Delinquent, Chapter 1. Rachel Yavling played Sheila and Marnie. DJ Yavling played Tito and Smigler. Don Ferguson played Zach. Drake Montgomery played Diamond, J. Jonah Jason, Chester. Jeff Dower played Robert Frog, Harry Whodunit, and Rocco. Laurie Ann Robinson played London. Mike Coco was Lieutenant Sea Monster. 
And I was Philip Penguin. Thanks for listening. God bless and always be fantastic.